previously on Transformer Chronicles. Please come back and join us for the next episode where we discuss Transformers issue number 15, where we learn if Barnett actually does come up with a plausible story for us fleshlings to mentally digest. He comes up with a story. I don't know if it's a plausible one. (laughs) Hey, John, how's it going? Not too bad, Delvin. I was just on my way to welcome Pat back and get ready to roll. Yeah, about that. There's something you got to know. Oh, right. Don't worry. I'm remembering my social distancing, but thanks for reminding me. I I won't get too close. Well, there is that, but there's something else you should really know. Did Pat change himself into a pipe again? No, not that. Oh, good. I'd hate for someone to accidentally smoke Pat again. All machines answer to my command. What is happening? Why are there cell phones and tablets scattered around blinking ominously? It's what I've been trying to tell you. Pat showed up with a towel tied around his neck like a cape and he is wearing plastic swimming goggles and he's demanding that we call him Robot Master. By our powers combined, I am Robot Master. That's a new one. Yeah, that can't be a good sign. Here, I'll try to talk him down. Hey there, Pat. We've got a show to do, so why don't we... Pat, put the Roomba down, Pat. Put the Roomba down! Assuming that John isn't destroyed by past mechanical arming, the original gang is back to cover issue 15 tonight on Transformers Chronicles, The Marvel Years. Transformers Chronicles, The Marvel Years. Hello, and welcome back to Transformers Chronicles. I'm Delvin, a.k.a. The Dark Web. It took me 14 episodes, and I never even thought to introduce myself first. In case you're new on the show, welcome. And let me tell you what this thing is all about. We are going for a wild, crazy ride, chronicling the awesome, wacky, and sometimes corny world of the Marvel Comics The Transformers. But I will not be going about it alone. Let's meet my chronicling companions. First up is a man who, despite his lifelong love of comics, has never encountered Marvel's Transformers until now. And he wants to see what the fuss is all about with these robots in disguise. The founder of the Longbox Crusade, Pat Sampson, a.k.a. DJ Cristados. Welcome back, Pat. How has your life been since last podcast? Well, Delvin, thanks for having me back, and I'm glad you asked. My life has been uh, quite busy with life going on, as everybody knows what's happening in the world today, um, I spend a lot of my time going to work and coming home, and going to work and coming home, and going to work and coming home. So, there seems to be a pattern. Yes. Next would be going to work. Yes. Yes. And then I would go home again. Quick. I caught it. Yeah. I caught it. All right. Sweet. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? No. Maybe some passwords at work or something like that? <laughs> nope. I wouldn't do that. Oh, well. <laughs> Fine. In that case, we'll move on. We have our Transformers expert, the lesser half of Married with Comics. Hello, Maggie. I, I changed it from hello to hi. You know, hi to hello. Just switching things up. People say we never change. but Right? You know what? We adapt and overcome. We, we dare I say it, transform. All right. The provider of knowledge, Jonathan Schaefer-Hames. John, what's up, man? Hey, Delvin. I was listening to the previous episode 
a little bit before this to try to remind myself, you know, what headspace I was in because I knew you would ask what you've been up to since the last time. Yeah, and I was trying to remember where it was because I just knew it was a while ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. I remember we were very excited that spring training was about to start a little bit later. Oh yeah, oh. Maggie was amped. Yeah, she was really amped for baseball, and well, well, so baseball isn't being played right now. Not yet. I'm with Pat. I am also declared an essential worker, so that's why they pay me the big bucks. Both of us are, but we're working. The hours are reduced, and we have a lot more overlap at home together, so we've just been recording a lot of things for jail, May, and other stuff. Yeah, but I am glad to be back here, uh, ready to talk about the old robots in disguise. But, you know, we can't forget about you, Delvin. What have you been up to? How is your general state of mind? General state of mind is pretty solid. Like, of course, we we have all talked about how being inside because of COVID-19 has affected us one way or the other. You two are essential workers, by the way. Thank you very much for the work that you do. It is greatly appreciated by your humble host here. Uh, If no one else, I have been a guy working at home. So there's that part of it. And I've changed from going to jujitsu to doing my workouts uh, in the same office that I'm podcasting in. So there is some physical activity that goes on in this office. That's, that's a good thing. That's good. Yeah. Uh, and let's see, other than that, there has been podcasting. I was fortunate enough to uh, do a recording for TFU Info uh, sometimes back that aired. Thanks to Anthony for letting me on for that. And things have been mostly good. Um, my wife and I are fine and things are good. Ready to talk yeah. Transformers. So... The three of us will be tackling all of Marvel's Transformers comics in order, starting with issue one and working our way to the series end at issue 80. We will answer any questions that are brought up to the best of our ability and seeing how these books we loved as a kid hold up to our oh-so-cynical adult eyes. This podcast is guaranteed to be, you guessed it, more than meets the eye. So, John and Pat, it's time to talk some Transformers and to find out whether Donnie Finkelberg has made the biggest mistake of his life right after this promo the transformers will return after these messages theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime dr sam beckett stepped into the quantum leap accelerator and And when he does vanish we're gonna be there to see it i'm aaron moss and i'm michelle moss I've seen an episode or two of the show, but this is my first time watching it through, which makes me like Sam. And I've seen every episode, multiple times. So I guess that makes me uh, Ziggy. Join us monthly as we watch Quantum Leap, episode by episode, and then discuss it. On the Star Bright Project. Available on its own feed. Or under the Headcast Network. Come Come take take the leap with us. now return to the Transformers. Welcome back. The issue we will be covering today is Transformers issue 15, and here is John with the cover description. This Herb Trimpy penned delight has a black background, which winds up giving a really cool effect to the overall picture. Up in the corner box is the familiar Optimus Prime, but above him is the first appearance, I think, of the Marvel 25th anniversary logo. The Transformers is in white with kind of a metallic blue trim, and it looks really cool. Featured on the cover is a cover within the cover. 
of a series called Robot Master, which is also on sale for 75 cents and also has a cover date of April and is number 15. It says, The Man Behind the Machines. And in the background is a bunch of Autobots and Decepticons, the likes of Soundwave, Skids, Hoist. We've got Trax, Bumblebee, Megatron is prominently featured. And I think that's probably Laserbeak up in the upper right corner. In front is a supervillain looking guy with curly hair, a red cape and goggles and a look on his face that is terrifying. And when I say terrifying, I mean, it looks like he's going, ah, this is my robot army. Gosh. I got that. In the UK, yeah. they got they read this. Look at your over Transformers. <laughs> Gosh, the Liger is more powerful than Transformers. Yeah, I knew it was coming. <laughs> you know, you could be uh, drinking normal Energon cubes if you wanted to. <laughs> you, you don't have to. You don't have you're to fat. be drinking it. Yeah. In Never the mind. UK, they read this in issues 55 and 56. Issue 55 is a reprint of this cover, except very cleverly, they did change the upper left hand to. Um, UK currency. In issue 56, it's a reimagining of a later scene in the book of Megatron blasting the hell out of everything. I love this cover. I like the conceit of the cover within the cover. I, I like it so much, I don't even care about the rampant coloring errors of pretty much every one of the Transformers on there. Besides, it's not the Transformers, it's Robot Master. Maybe they are that color of that universe. And maybe Megatron holds his fusion can in that stupid way in this universe. But we'll never know. What did you think of the cover, Pat? Well, it's definitely different. I do like the Transformers logo, the white and the metallic-y, the, the blue that's surrounded. I think that makes that really pop out against that black background on the top mm -hmm. there. As far as the rest of it goes, eh, I kind of see what they're trying to do here, but it just doesn't want to pull me in to read this one. It's an all right cover for me. Delvin? Cover in the cover is a gimmick. Generally, I don't like gimmicks. I think it works here because you look at it and the Transformers and the concept of humans being robots is, you could say that's a gimmick in itself if you want it to, but it's definitely offbeat. And so having a cover within a cover and of a robot master and the Transformers is like, wait, what is... What is this? What is this about? Unlike Pat, it, it intrigues me because I'm looking at it and I would be like, this is, this is weird. What's, what's going on here? And of course, if I'm collecting it, I'm going to get the next issue no matter what. But if I'm not, and I just had a passing interest in Transformers, I might be interested to pick it up and to see what's going on because of what this cover is. So I do like it. Well, you've heard our thoughts. Let's do some ratings. If you don't know, here on Transformers Chronicles, we rate things on a scale of 1 to 10, just like the tech specs on the original toys, 1 being the lowest and 10 being the highest. So let's go with Pat. Pat, what do you think? I'm going to go middle ground here. I'll give it a 5. Okay. Anything to add? You know, I, I just think that, and I'll get to this in the story, I like it when it's just, I want to say, Transformers. Mm -hmm. And they're not trying to do a gimmicky thing. You know, just let me get into the Transformers themselves, the characters of the Transformers themselves. Oh, I, I can discuss stuff about that, but I'm not so, going to do it now since we're talking about the cover. I will wait. I will wait. We'll be patient. Mm -hmm. John, what do you think about the cover? Uh, normally, on a rig, I would give it a six for a lot of, you know, art things and color stuff that I didn't like, but I'm going to bump it up to a seven just because I'm in a really good mood today. It does work for me, especially with some of how some of the story elements work out. Having a comic book called Robot Master that shows this absolutely does happen, and it's interesting. But usually I don't like it, so 
that gives it an extra point for me. So, yeah, if it didn't happen in the book and it was just a gimmick, I would like it a lot less. Since this cover accurately portrays things that happen in the book one way or the other, and a lot of the story elements, I like it a decent deal. I'll take your seven, and I will raise it one, two, and eight. Ooh, boy. See, you guys got some history, though, and you know where the story's kind of going with it. Sure. Maybe that's... That's the show. (laughs) No, I know. I know. You're you're the new you guy. You don't have to be embarrassed by your choice, man. Just stand by it. <laughs> Quality is relative. Yeah. If, if you saw it and saw it as a six, then maybe some I say, No, people. I call it as a five. Don't try to bump my five up to a six, Delvin. Oh, I thought it was. A, oh, in that case, no. Your rating is trash. And I have to find someone more positive to come on and show. <laughs> Ouch. But while you're here, Pat. Can you go ahead and read the credits for the issue? All right. I'm glad you asked me to so we can get out of this one. Transformers number 15 got a title of I, Robot Master. Publisher was Marvel Comics. Cover date was April 1986 with a cover price of 75 cents. It was published in December 31st, 1985. Wow. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. This came out of 1985. Writer was Bob Budiansky. Penciler is Don Perlin. Inker, Keith Williams. Colorist, Neil Yamtov. Letterer is Janice Chang. And editor is Michael Carlin. And this is all thanks to Mike's Amazing World and TF wiki.info thank you very much pat let's go right to the synopsis it is a world transformed where things are not what they seem it is the world Megatron is on a rampage. He's been knocked out by Ratchet, forced to be a gun for Joey Slick, and now is about to be out of fuel somewhere in a coal mine in an eastern Wyoming basin. Consuming the coal there doesn't help Megatron, and thus, he freezes. Out of fuel. Elsewhere, Walter Barnett is struggling to come up with an idea to explain the alien robots for Triple I, the Intelligence Information Institute. Triple I is aware of the goings-on of the Transformers, including a frozen Megatron, and they are not trying to hear what GB Blackrock is selling them about there being good robots and bad robots. Walter needs an idea for just the robots which he finds inspiration in when he returns home and sees his son with a Robot Master comic book published by Fake Marvel, which just got canceled. But Walter finds the writer of the comic book, Donnie Finkelberg, just as he's getting kicked out on his keister and invites him to lunch. Walter wants Donnie to sell the idea that there is a Robot Master controlling the robots and offers him $25,000. Well, someone has to be Robot Master, and Donnie ain't working, and Walter has that government money, so Walter offers Donnie $50,000 to do it. With the help of Triple a recording is made and sent out to the nation. The Autobots see this and send Bumblebee to go to GB to find out what's up. The Megatron story is leaked to the press, and just as Donnie thought he was out, Triple I pulls him back in with a $100,000 offer to make a recording in front of Megatron. 
The Decepticons launch a plan to get Megatron. The Autobots are on their way too. GB comes to convince Triple I once again to stop this madness. The Autobots arrive first and get bombarded by massive human firepower. They choose not to retaliate and remain peaceful. GB tries to get the army to stop, but to no avail. The Decepticons arrive and refuels Megatron, who resumes his rampage, of which the Autobots are in no shape to stop after the military barrage. They retreat, leaving Dunning Finkelberg in a bad, bad spot. Donnie escapes by convincing Megatron he has more value dead than alive. Megatron agrees to this for now. So let's talk about the book. On Transformers Chronicles, we take turns bringing up something from the comic, starting with, but not limited to, goods, bads, and everything in between. That's what we're going to talk about. Pat, start us off. Let me start it off with my somewhat, I don't want to say bad, but just trying to figure this out. Maybe you guys can help me change my mind or my thoughts on this. So as I mentioned before in my cover rating, I want something that's a little more on the lines of character action and development. Granted, there was some here, but I like more of the reaction between the robots themselves than dealing with the humans. You know, I listened to John's other podcast, The Rod Pod, and that's all about just the robots talking to each other. And, you know, it's to me, I find that really fascinating because it's gotten to a point to where it's just all around the robots and their world and all that's going on. And that's what I want to be interested in and to, and to understand that. With this one, having like, we don't have Spike or, you know, what's his name here? Oh, and all those guys around anymore right now. But we have GB. We have this Donnie guy. We have the Walter guy from Barnett. the... Yeah, triple I, and it's like, eh, come on, what's going on here? I wanted a little bit more, and so I just didn't feel like it was what I was looking for. Maybe just me at this time. I just wanted some robot, robot action, you know? Yeah. John, you got something to say about that? That's a standard uh, split that happens within the fandom. There are those that really say they don't like this era as much for the very reasons Pat's talking about. I am not one of those people. I really do like this, and I find that, especially at this point, that the humans serve a very important purpose, two of them. Like, one is to offset the fact that these are aliens. If you have nothing but them talking to each other, you lose that fact, which is eventually what happens. The next three, in fact, are all of that. But what I like them for, Bob Odiansky gives us new characters. It really Mm -hmm. makes it feel a lot more like an organic and larger world than the cartoon gives us when it is just Spike and Sparkplug all the time. And then they have a couple of people. It just makes Oregon seem like it's just those four people. The other thing that they really serve for is, I've said before, but it's really here now, is their sense of scale. Mm. I mean, on this first page, especially where you've got Megatron tearing apart this mining equipment, the people are barely would be coming up to his ankle. And, yeah. And he's moving. Think about how scary something that big moving like an organic being would be. That's just my preference, personally. There are plenty of people who would agree with you, Pat, and they're, they're not wrong to to feel one way or another. But what do you think, Dylan? I'm picturing that meme where Pat's sitting at a table with <laughs> and then like, has a sign in front that's like, I want my Transformers and Chef Robots change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I do get where you're going. I agree mostly with John here, especially considering this is 1985. Mm-hmm. The idea of the Transformers is not a 30s almost 40-year-old concept. That's true. That's true. It's brand new. So what are you going to 
pit them against for you to understand what they're about. Well, a good idea would be maybe to pit them against human beings and see how human beings and robots interact. Now, they were using the Marvel Universe as a big backdrop, and then they decided, eh, maybe we don't want to combine big old robots with <laughs> Spidey and Thor yeah. and Cap, so we're going to ease them kind of into their own separate Earth. Good mm-hmm. idea. So you have a few stories such as this. John mentioned about the next three issues. And since you mentioned the Rod Pod, it's not much of a spoiler to say that at the end of this journey, at issue 80, it's going to be a story about robots. But then if you consider that, that is issue 80. If you just do that full-time comics, that is almost seven years Mm -hmm. of where people have understood and knowing what the Transformers are all about. So it's not that big of a deal to just have a mostly robot story at that point. And maybe that's it. Maybe I'm so used to it right now. Mm -hmm. And then in reading through it, it's like, oh, you know, I know they interact with humans, but let's just, let's get to the robot stuff, you know? Yeah. I want to add something else too. I find this story fascinating because if robots were to, somehow become a normal part of our day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. How the hell would we explain that? In the government, you have a job to keep people relatively, you know, on a simmer and not boiling over, going crazy. So Megatron's 30 feet freaking tall and ripping up mines, uh, coal mines and stuff, and just blasting stuff with this huge space cannon. Like, how the hell are you going to explain that? The fact that Bob even thought about that, I think is really, really interesting. And some of the elements that he put in, especially in the backdrop of what's going on now, like right now, we're all facing an enemy we can't see. There's this virus. Like, how do you explain that to someone who's like, well, I can't go outside? Why? There's this thing I can't see? You're making this up. And, and trust me, like none of the political stuff aside, just in general, try, you know, try explaining a virus to someone who doesn't really know what a virus is. But it, it is a timely commentary on the need to get a message out to spend more effort on that than actually trying to solve the problem. Like the messaging is the most important thing, either from government or companies or anything. And if, if you think about it overall, like the idea that this crazy guy with the goggles and you know saying i'm controlling all this and you're like "Ooh, i i could i wish i could just bop him on the nose that robot (laughs) as opposed to no one is controlling 30 feet tall space robots with fusion cannons i don't know if that helped you hurt or not that but like just a little bit of perspective as to maybe robot was it does. It does. And like I said, I think it, going back and looking at this, I can see where, you know, like you guys said, you know, this is the first time this concept was kind of out here. So trying to figure that out in the, with the humans in mind. So interesting. I got a feeling that once you get through this story arc that's basically starting, you know, here and then the one previous, once you get through it and see where Donnie and Maybe. Barnett go, you might look back at this a little more fondly yeah. or maybe not. And I do, let me, I'll go into an, an, a good that I liked on this and kind of skip over you guys. I'll go nah, you're good. <laughs> We're talking. Go for it. I like GB in this one. 
You know, yeah, I like, like his character coming in and going, no, wait, these guys are, you know, these are great people. They've helped me so much. And, you know, he wants to be a spokesman and all that for them. I like that part of it. You know, he's not just somebody that getting pushed around. He's going up against some higher people. And he goes but, back again to say, see, I'm telling you guys. Yeah, but but you see, Pat, there can't be good 30 feet robots and bad 30 feet robots. That's too hard to understand. <laughs> And but you can. They have different symbols. But here's the thing. My response, I imagine, in the you know of the triple I people, if I'm one of them, and even if is what that guy is, even if he believes that they are, it's like we really don't care. We just want you off of our planet. <laughs> we don't want your millions year old war. We don't care if you're good guys. You're still destroying things. Yeah, it is. Hold on, I, I have to find the line. It, it was one of the I.I.I. said, whether the robots are good or bad is irrelevant. Although evidence exists to support some of what BlackRock said, however preposterous it sounded, all robots are to be considered a threat. Yeah. And that is, and I, I mean, it's particularly for a story, that is government thinking. We want to put a face on this and we want to have our messaging as simple as possible. And it's like, whoo, because you're right. BlackRock came in there and they and BlackRock told them the truth. And they're like, yeah, there's the truth, but there's our truth. Uh, yeah. And I can see that, like you said, they want to just protect the United States and or Earth and just say, okay, you guys got to get out of here. Yeah. I'm with you, though. I was with BlackRock, too. And BlackRock was put in a hard position. I think BlackRock scored some points there because he didn't have to do that. He could have been like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, they're all bad. I don't care. Well, BlackRock right now is the only, you know, good guy in the disaster movie. He's the guy who knows and no one will listen to him. He goes, no, you yeah. don't understand. There's a bunch. We're meant to hate these guys and we will be frustrated a lot <laughs> over the next issues with some of the decisions they make. But I do enjoy reading it now as an adult, looking back and getting the fact that not only are these just there, there because we need bad guys, but they are representing a logical way of that that would probably go, that it would be completely irrelevant to them, even if there were good and bad guys. And even and if there are, that's not an avenue that we've been told to pursue right now. We have a bunch of hammers and these are nail problems. <laughs> <laughs> to use your analogy, John, if Transformers were a horror movie, then GB Blackrock would be horribly murdered. Probably about like three, <laughs> three seconds after he stepped out of that government building because he was trying to make the most sense. He was trying to tell them how the situation actually was, but I, I, I wasn't buying it. No, sir. John, do you have another point to bring up or want to keep talking about this point in some way? Just kind of to keep going with this. This isn't a, a bad per se, but looking at how the pressure is obviously getting to poor Burnett here, Barnett here, we, we get like two pages with this family and all he does is yell at them and then gets an idea and leaves. I told you to clean that up. Give me that. that. What's that? A comic book? Hey. Walk, yeah. Walk in the house fussing. That's not, that's never good. Can't do no. that. My favorite part of this whole book is the Marvel Studios. It's 387 South Park Avenue. That was where Marvel Studios were. And I love where Finkelberg's getting tossed out by faux Jim Shooter. Because if you look at the panel where he is and you've got him pointing his finger, the way that he's pointing it makes it sure that um, the editor-in-chief of this is about eight and a half feet tall, which would be slightly shorter than Jim Shooter actually was, is. He's a very tall man. Really? Yes. And Finkelberg doesn't, you know, strikes me as being more in the, you know, five, six with lifts sort of. Uh, <laughs> 
Let the man have his height. I mean, he's, he's got to scramble for what he has. Would you like to share a little bit of information about what you know about the character Donnie Finkelberg, John? I would. Um, I found out some stuff on uh, the Transformers wiki. Donnie Finkelberg is based in look and kind of name-wise as, as Danny Figueroth, who is a, a writer for Marvel Comics, mostly known for his work on Dazzler, but more so on Darkhawk, which he wrote all of that comic and i'm a big fan he also looks exactly like napoleon dynamite so (laughs) that joke i made about the cover wasn't too far off i said i was kind of wondering that too is is he based off of somebody in the industry obviously he was so friend of budianski's delvin you got any uh other good bads or whatever's i think that finkelberg was put in one heck of a position. <laughs> I, I, but I love how it was set up because it was going to be just him coming up with a story, a plausible story for the ridiculousness of having the robots on planet Earth and more specifically the United States. And then the money doubled. And then he was supposed to get in front of a camera and act like this character for this story that he wrote, which was a little bit more crazy. (laughs) And then the money doubled. And now he finds himself at the foot of Megatron, (laughs) the most dangerous, the malevolent, the bad guy so far, Megatron. And he's at his foot, like, okay, cutting this promo about Robot Master. And then (laughs) Megatron comes alive and and just a rapidly downward spiral for uh, Robot Master for uh, uh, Finkelberg. And it was, I just think that was a big, crazy series of events, but it was well, it was well written and it was well played. I, I enjoyed it. Pat, anything to add? Um, the other things I like in, in this as well, too, is you see when Prime and Bumblebee and some of the other bots uh, are ready to kind of they get going to find where, where when they figure out where Megatron is, finally, you get Prime saying, all right, everybody, he, he gives the transform and roll out. I'm like, That's- is that the first time they're putting this in? I think Prowl said transform and roll out earlier, or Bumblebee had said it last issue, but this is the first time Prime says it. Okay. I was like, oh, I don't think I've ever heard or seen Prime do that before. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, I was like, how long are they going to let Megatron just kind of hang out there? And man, he's got to be pretty bored. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck in that position. He's got to have a, like his back is, you know, he's like, you know, bending over, kind of reaching down. And well, you can tell he wasn't happy. <laughs> That's for sure. I had to try to eat some coal. Coal wasn't doing it for him. He froze up. Dude striking a match on him. Megatron was not having a good day at the start of this. Mm-mm. John? Two little things. Number one, I like how they finally show how fuel works in this. It's different from how fuel or energon is shown in the cartoon. In the cartoon, if somebody runs out of energon, they can still walk around in things. They just can't turn into their vehicles and go. They don't have to think very hard about things on the cartoon. But uh, on this one, so they apparently they're still able to think and, you know, their circuitries go. They just can't move. And that's that's kind of really, you know, freaky and interesting. It's a robot that you have to gas up. Yeah. And yeah. And you would wonder how long would that happen? Would Megatron have just shut down everything? Had he never? I don't know. Don't know. 
he seemed to have made it a while through his whole, you know, last few endeavors because if he's in Wyoming, uh, he must have trekked about um, a thousand miles. So, and yes, you could use this to make the Megatron can fly, Jeff, but I would rather use it to talk about how Megatron can walk one thousand miles or five hundred miles, and then Megatron would walk five hundred more just to be bah, the robot who who walked a thousand miles to blow up your coal mine and then run out of fuel right outside your door. Pretty sure that's how the song goes. Yeah, I... He did. He walked for weeks to to, uh, to, bah, to piggyback off your point. He walked for weeks to get to that point looking for fuel. So there are probably other unwritten Transformers stories of him terrorizing (laughs) (laughs) gas stations and stuff and not getting the fuel that he wanted to. Just a trail of terrified humans wherever he went. Pat, John, do y'all have anything else to talk about the issue? One more. It's my WTF. Go for it. Uh, How how about Megatron's uh, mesh mouth thing at the end? Eventually, they just give them teeth, you know, which is weird in its own way. But man... That's messed up. That's weird. It's like a, a mesh like from an old yeah. speaker. Yeah, and uh, also shown on content page uh, 18 as well. <laughs> it's like yeah. Megatron uh, didn't get his braces out. He still got braces on, and they got stuck. <laughs> so you can't really blame him. When I had braces, I wasn't too happy about it. Cut my lip. and Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> great with the panel blown up like this. Yeah. It was on content page 15. I thought that was one of the better drawn images of the book, seeing Megatron frozen like he was and some of the human interaction going on. I like that page a lot. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting tale, this one. It felt like it was not really going too far. And I th- I'm like, is this just a one shot? What's kind of going on here? Is it going to be a one and done? But it sounds like there's a few more issues around the story so yeah well at a minimum from the human piece alone the iii thing is still going on you've got the robot master storyline and you've got finkelberg who is caught where he's supposed to be pretending to control the decepticons but and i can see where they're using that as a middle somewhat of an enemy between the two between the Decepticons and the Autobots where, hey, we got a common enemy. We need to be together now. And Explain that. That the III got is, it. is a group that is, you know, trying to take out both the Decepticons and Autobots. Right now, all they want is an explanation. They want that cure-all for the general public so that they won't just completely lose their minds that these robots are around. So the explanation that is being given right now is a robot master is controlling them. And that's it. That's all they have right now. There is no other plan other than this completely cockamamie scheme with the robot master that is hanging on by the thread of Megatron's patience. Right. And if, if Finkelberg hadn't, um, you know, been quick to think that babbled his way into an agreement with Megatron, they wouldn't even have that. Mm hmm. Yeah. They would have that. Now, it remains to be seen if III evolves or if they do something else to actively attack all of the robots. Because remember, only one enemy. They don't want good robots and bad robots, just dead robots. Yeah, so, that's true. Uh, yeah, there's that part of it. With the Decepticons, the Decepticons now have a bargaining chip. Because if everyone just thinks that 
all robots are bad, then that benefits the Decepticons. They can go and just be as terrible as they want to be with zero repercussions for their actions. Keep in mind, there are two separate camps of Decepticons right now who might have more on their minds than trying to hook up an overall plan. Shockwave and the planes are still at large, too. Yeah, you have the enemy within the enemy. So there are a few things going on just based off of the last few issues. So it is continuing, not necessarily in that it's one of those part three or four storylines. It's one of those... They are just using the next issue to piggyback off of what's gone on in the past and to continue a developing story. I found it kind of interesting as well, too, that the Autobots just kind of walked away. Yeah, they got kind of bombarded with you know missiles and fire and, and all that, but just to walk away... What would you have them do? I thought it was at least explained. Had they walked away and said, screw these humans, we out. No. That would have been unheroic. But for them to say, we got to live and fight another day here, we're we're whipped. We we don't have enough to face Megatron and, and his forces. We got to retreat. It was just like Prime Bumblebee and Trax. And who else do they have with? I don't think they were equipped to actually take him out especially damage well maybe not him but they could have at least one after some of the other decepticons just to prove that hey we're here for them not you guys and i still don't think that that would have changed the iii's narrative no yeah. because then had something gotten destroyed in the melee in the battle then they would have said all of the robots caused this destruction yeah, there, there wasn't much of a of a ground for the Autobots to win. They had basically lost the fight with the humans. They had lost the peace with the humans, and they would have lost the battle with the Decepticons. And rather than take that loss, they just called it a day. Not necessarily the best day for the good guys here, but maybe a necessary tactical retreat. Yeah. Gentlemen, if that is all, now is the time for us to talk about who had the touch, where we talk about which character in the book stood out the most, be it Autobot, Decepticon, or human. You got the touch. You got the power. I'll go first. It's tough. I, yeah. it, it's tough to choose who had the touch here. I think Walter Barnett had the touch. He came up with a plan and may have been a crazy one, but it was certainly inventive. And it looks like for the time being, he's able to come up with some story about how uh, the robots are on planet Earth and how the good old US of A is taking care of it. Pat, what do you think? I like that thought that you had on him. My robot that had the touch is Soundwave. I thought he was pretty clever to go hang out in a quote-unquote store where he could get some news to figure out where Megatron was. And then once he figured out where he was, he went and saved him and brought him some fuel. So, you know, how like his master out. I like that. And yeah, he did a good job. A very good job of uh, getting that intel and springing into action. Had a plan. I like that. John, what do you think? I'm going to go with the controversial dark horse horse choice of Donnie Finkelberg to be able to go off of getting fired off of his book 
and you talk about falling upward. He goes from there, eventually a $100,000 job, which in today's dollars is about $250,000. So I got to give it to him. In the in the 80s economy, to be able to do that, that's you got the touch there, Donnie. And uh, to use a quote from about maybe uh, 10 more years into the future, more money, more problems. <laughs> If that's the case, we, if we talked about the touch, then someone had to be out of touch. We talked about the character that was the worst in the book, and they should be forced to attempt to strike a match on a fully fueled Megatron in the segment called Less Than Meets the Eye. But I am just a broken machine, and I do things that don't really mean John, who do you have for less than meets the eye? Donnie Finkelberg. <laughs> you strike a match on Megatron. I don't care what the hell kind of money you're rolling in right now. You are asking for it. Anything that bad that happens to you between now and issue, let's say twenty three, it's that's all on you, bud. You gotta admit though that John, that took some balls, right? <laughs> I don't think he really knew what he was doing, though. He didn't, but that made it even more funny. <laughs> Pat, who do you have? I'm going to go with the Autobots on this one. Like I said before, their lack of, you know, hey, let's prove ourselves, but then they kind of go away with their tail. And I understand where you guys are coming from on that, but just didn't have the touch for me on this one. I'm kind of with you on that, Pat. I, I do understand what you're saying. They wound up not really doing much of anything. Yeah. I respect their peaceful stance. There's something there that, yeah, I'm like. But they could have done something better to explain their position. They're big robots. They could have. They could have done something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm using my big robot voice yeah. now. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm oh, we weren't hearing you before. Something. I'll, so I'm with you. I, I will take your idea hmm. and I will say the Autobots were all less than meets the eye for this one. All right. Now is the time for overall ratings of the book. We do the one to ten thing. One is bad. Ten is much better than bad. So, Pat, what do you think? What are you rating Transformers 15 on a scale of one to ten? You know, I was with this one, I was kind of stuck at a five saying it was good, it moved the story along. But I think having this kind of session with you guys has helped me see it in a little bit different light. So I'm going to bump it up to a six from a five. Okay. What do you want to see in future? Because six isn't bad, by the way. I'm not, you know, no, saying, I mean, oh, you must be what, but what do you what do you want to see? Besides just more robots, what would be like that? Well, when I say more robots, I mean more robot character development mm -hmm. is what I want to see. I want to see more of, you know, the struggle within the Decepticons more, that, you know, that backstabbing stuff going on more. Yeah. And the Autobots. Right now, it's time for them to build a team. They haven't been a team for, what, 40 million years or whatever. So... Now they have this chance to build this new team up again and get everybody kind of working on the goal and the, to stay on Earth and help out here. Yeah, I'd say it's kind of hard getting like a whole bunch of robots to get on the same robot page there. But I do get what you're saying. John, what do you rate it, man? Uh, I'm going to give it a seven. 
I like it a little better than, than Pat did, even though he's, he bumped it up a little bit there. But it's pretty good. It's not as good as what's coming. But as a starting point for what we get, I'm going to give it a solid seven. Man, I'm telling you, at one point, like I could justify rating this book a 10 because I really enjoyed <laughs> how Bob's whole thing has been weaving humans and the robot. And sometimes it's clunky. Like last episode was a little bit clunky with the rock concert, though it was fun and reminded me a lot of the cartoon. This one just kind of had that real world aspect. And there was some of that political intrigue in it that I enjoyed. I'm not going to give it a 10. And our whole line about musical genius, Joe November, I, I would rather... If I could, and I can't because it goes against mm-hmm. the rules of the podcast, give it about an 8.5, but I'm going to give it an 8. It is a very good issue. Strong. I like that it's a very strong 8 because it was a good issue. It was good characterization with the humans and some of the Transformers. And I think it's setting up some really cool stuff in the future. So it's an 8 for me. I think we all enjoyed the book. That's cool, too. <laughs> And now we can and never will leave you without John's segment of the show called Transformer Spotlight, where he discusses a particular Transformer, which is featured in today's issue. It's all yours, John. Soundwave. Here's what the back of Soundwave's toy said. His allegiance was Decepticon. His function is communications. His motto is, Cries and screams are music to my ears. It is said that Soundwave can hear a fly sneeze, uses anything he hears for blackmail to advance his status. Opportunist, despised by all other Decepticons. Sensors can detect even lowest energy radio transmissions. Also, able to read minds by monitoring electrical pain impulses. Acts as radio link for others. Locates and identifies Autobots, then informs Decepticons. Carries a concussion blaster gun, often target of retaliation by his comrades. His strength, all of this again on a scale of 1 to 10, is 8. His intelligence is 9. Smart guy. Speed is 2. Microcassette players don't move very fast. His endurance is 8. His rank is 8. He's pretty high up there. His courage is 5. His firepower is 6. And his skill is 10. Who doesn't love Soundwave? People that don't know anything about Transformers will know Optimus Prime, Bumblebee these days, and Soundwave. Now, there's a lot of reasons that he's so popular. Um, First, um, the G1 toy was a really cool toy. He came from the Micro Change line of toys, where he was called simply Cassette Man. Now, that line included him, all of the micro cassettes, uh, the reflector robots, the three that would turn into a camera, and Megatron. They were all supposed to be your electronic devices and apparently the weapon you use to protect them. He transforms into a realistically sized blue and silver micro cassette recorder complete with an opening cassette door that can accommodate any of the numerous mini cassette figures. You see kids, there used to be these things called tapes and you would know. He came packaged with Buzzsaw to uh, fully exploit and advertise this interactive gimmick. Soundwave was armed with a shoulder mounted cannon and a handheld concussion blaster which both of them would transform into imitation batteries that would store in the compartment on the back while he's in his alt mode. Now the Hasbro instructions for these mistakenly stated that a pair of trapezoid shaped stickers they were supposed to decorate the batteries but they said 
but the direction said that they went on his legs. So everybody had the stickers on wrong. Everybody seemed to have a sound wave but me. The odd thing about him was that how tall he was. His toy was actually a little taller than Optimus Prime, so it really made the scaling of some of their um, fights you would have with them a little strange, but we managed. So many people probably had him because he was one that they never stopped selling. He was included in every line of toys. Um, even now, they are currently selling a uh, replica of him for a reasonable price at Walmart. But the real reason everybody knows and loves Soundwave is Frank Welker's voice. Frank created an amazing voice for this character. It was rather doctored up, obviously, similar to how we do things here. But just look up Frank Welker voice comparison on YouTube and you'll be able to see him doing a lot of these voices and you'll be able to be amazed at the skills of this man as to what he was able to actually bring to it himself. You'd be surprised at the amount of it that wasn't doctored up. Soundwave's only consistency in his characterization over various media is his inconsistency. On the original cartoon, he's shown as unflinchingly loyal to Megatron and happy with his spot as third in command and he's more of a mobile troop transport than communications. Uh, he's shown as carrying all of the tapes with him that he like lets out and they all go crazy. In this comic, he's much closer to what his tech specs say in that he's an opportunist. He will go wherever he sees the wind blowing and he's always the first person to see the wind blowing. So Soundwave usually does pretty well by figuring out where is the best place to be and finds a way to be there. He also doesn't quite seem to have the special relationship with the tapes. He only carries one of them around at a time, and with some exceptions like this issue aside, he doesn't really spend all of his time fighting alongside of more than one of them. Now in the IDW comics, he's all over the place. Aaron Henley said when he was a guest on the Rod Pod, Soundwave is either monosyllabic or almost Shakespearean, but he's always shown as being a fierce believer in the Decepticon cause. That's a big part of his story arc. My favorite take on him, it highlights his close relationship with Ravage. There, his origin was that centuries before the war started, his high sensibilities were giving him a form of robot synesthesia. Basically, he couldn't interact properly with the world because he would be seeing radio waves and things like that. Uh, Ravage found him homeless and um, near death and kind of nursed him back to health and helped him work through his sense issues so he was able to become one of the most effective warriors on the the team. Soundwave returned the favor in some later stories. Also before the war, there was a great deal of racism toward any of the Decepticons or any of the Transformers that didn't look like, ironically, human-looking robots, like any of the animal ones or things like that. There was a systemic racism against them, and Soundwave um, both fought against that and helped protect Ravage. I'm telling you, these books are giving you a little bit more than just the Autobots and Decepticons blasting at each other. But that is Soundwave. Back to you guys. Thanks, John. Now we will go to a promo break. The Transformers will return after these messages. Monthly, monthly, monthly. It's Action Film Face Off. Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Action film face off! 
Yes, thank you, Jared. Action Film Face-Off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets... Jason was a Navy SEAL! Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence wing. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face-Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris! Technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet, but it could happen because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films, each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it! We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our Video Dome arena. It also has spikes. It does not have spikes. <laughs> but we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high. Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off. Next episode, Jason fights a bear. Jason is not fighting a bear, but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade network of shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade. Or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face-Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face-Off. We do, indeed, invite you to come and see the blood fly. I just said that! We now return to the Transformers. And that's the show. Please come back with us and join us for next episode where we are discussing Transformers issue 16. And we learn a little bit about the plight of the Bumblebee. That was, that was my plight. You know what? Never mind. I'm not going to explain it. It's terrible enough. Now, now you got me interested. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to hear more from us, the Longbox Crusade <laughs> is in a lot of places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and most podcatchers to include Spotify at www.longboxcrusade.com. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Longbox Crusade. Patreon at Longbox Crusade, of which I'd like to give a special thank you to our Crusaders Club members. And YouTube, you can subscribe, and we do a do-it live stream once a month, every second Sunday, around 3.30 p.m. Central Time. And sometimes we pop up and do just some crazy things every now and again. Also email us at contact at Longbox Crusade. We'd also like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Omaha Bound Entertainment, who does hard binding, for those special comics in your collection, they do custom designing for every cover. So every single hardcover they des design is unique, as well as selling special trade collections of hard-to-find comics. All of this is available on their site, which is omahabound.com. John, why don't you tell us about your podcast and where you can be found on the Internet? Check out the Rod Pod, where Maggie and I cover the IDW Phase 2 Transformers comics in order, and also Married with Comics, where we talk about everything else. You can find both of those on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast places, or just tell your Amazon device to play Married with Comics podcast. Hit us up on Twitter uh, at MWC underscore podcast, and you can send us an email directly at marriagewcomics at gmail.com. Remember, there is no if in with. How about you, Pat? Where can we find you? If in with. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Well, 
Jonathan, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. Delvin? You can find me on Twitter at DEE underscore RAY1977. See you next time. And remember, freedom is the right of all sentient beings till all are one. Till all are one. You got the touch. You got the power. and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended and it is for entertainment purposes only. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. To know just what it takes, you're a fighter. In a world of travel. Travel, 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 trav